I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. In this episode, I'm talking to Jane Markland about her contemporary novel, Celo. Jane is a medical secretary from Norwich. She can always be found with her head in a book, her nose inside a rose, or with her family. In this episode, we talk about writing characters we rarely see in fiction, writing prequels and backstories for your characters so that you know them really well, and the value of a writing community. But first, here's Jane with an excerpt from Celo. They told me it was an old house, and so it was. Grey, long and tall, like a huge elephant. From the sky it would look like that, a massive beast in a forest of green. The taxi driver had left me standing there with two bags at my feet. The tiny gravel stones were already inside my trainers. There was too much of it, way too much. Or not enough visitors to dampen down, to flatten and harden to a workable surface. In front of the door was a fountain with lichen growing over and blotting out the carved angel, a few tiny cracks in her arm where the water would shoot from. The door was blue, had been once, a blue that told me I was near the sea. Waves hadn't washed the paint away though, only time. I pushed the bell once, twice and could hear its call. No one answered. Perhaps they'd told the Harrisons I was coming tomorrow. They might be out. They might be somewhere in the gardens. I tried once more and left my bags on the tiled floor and walked to the first window. The glass wasn't clean, only lightly washed by rain, and up here, on the coast, that wouldn't be too often. I'd read books about crate and coastal gardens, water retention, how to adapt things. First impression of this house told me things didn't change much here. Dead flies were lying on their backs on the tiled sill inside pressed tight to the glass. They were sealed by it. A row of herbs and cacti told me people lived here. Fresh herbs flopping over the rim of a blue jug. Thyme or possibly oregano. I studied the rose of Sharon creeping over the earth and up the walls. Its progress halted by neglect. Mr Watson hadn't painted the picture too rosy. He'd told me the gardening needed work. No one had been here for a while. The soil here under the kitchen window was defeated by the overhang from the roof and no one to care, but it looked good. I bent down and ran my fingers through, warm and sandy. 
The gravel had found its way here, but not too much. I felt more than earth. There were roots, dead roots. There'd been fine specimens here. Lilies or roses, perhaps. Peonies. Something spectacular to go with the fountain. What would you choose, Nathan? I heard his voice, Mr Watson, as he'd asked us all for planting plans. In this dry, sandy soil, sun in the morning, what would you plant here? Hi Jane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today to talk about your daily novel, Silo. Hi Chloe, it's lovely to be here and thanks for inviting me. So can you start by telling us what Silo is about? Yeah, um, broadly it's about hope. I'd say hope for one person and uh, my main character Nathan um, wanting a better life really. And Silo is the house where he goes for his job to renovate the gardens. I think as you read on, as the reader will read on, um, they'll sort of understand why the house has been given that name. But no spoilers, I'm not going to tell you yet. No, but can you give us a little bit of a hint about what the significance of the title is? Yeah, it's it means it's Spanish for sky. And um, there's a scene towards the beginning where Max, who's the owner of the house, asks Nathan to build him a garden and it's all very symbolic in Max's mind and he wants it to be heaven so when he dies because he's died well he says he's dying and um, he wants somewhere where he can die in peace as he puts it and so um, he how he thinks is really really wrapped up in fate I suppose you'd say Mm-hmm. and um, he's been to Spain, so he calls this house Cielo. Lovely, and when he speaks about the kind of garden he wants and this idea of heaven, it's lots of white flowers and foliage, yeah. and, it, and it goes beautifully with your with your front cover. And you must, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you're a big gardening fan, a big lover of plants, because you describe all the gardening in such precise detail so are you a big gardener or did you have to do a lot of research no I'm a big gardener <laughs> well when I say I'm a big gardener Chloe it, I'm a big gardener with a little garden <laughs> so but I am yeah yeah I think that really comes across in, in Nathan's passion for for gardening and so for you was that a natural topic to want to write about because it's something that I think we often particularly debuts tend to write about things that they're really interested in or passionate about was it an obvious thing for you to write about in a way I wanted him to um obviously be this prisoner who was released but the local prison um where I live in Norwich they um the people who were sort of due for release the prisoners who are due for release they used to run this cafe it's not open anymore sadly so they had like their helpers and their sort of prison officers were obviously in this cafe with them but it was just to train them to try and rehabilitate them in a way I suppose they'd have something rather than be on the streets or basically or as what usually happens go straight back in so I thought what can I do like that I can't do what's happening in real life so I thought ah gardens so I thought I'll send him to some really swanky place with this big garden where he can um and obviously 
crucially to the latter part of the book, it's very isolated. There's no other houses near it. So I'm guessing that your initial story idea starts with the character of Nathan then. Do you remember that first moment? Did you kind of start writing a Nathan's voice within your head from the minute you began? No, it started with the house. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the, the actual house, um, I used to cycle past. As soon as I saw it, I thought, I wonder who lives there. Well, I sort of thought, I know who probably lives there. It's probably some titled person, <laughs> you know. But I thought, I'm actually going to turn this on the on its head and put someone in there you'd never, ever dream of being in there. And I think as you read sort of uh, the book, you'll definitely Nathan would never go then probably Max wouldn't either because in the sort of prequel to Ciolo Max actually won that house and I've written the prequel to it as well how sad (laughs) (laughs) for both of them you know lots of writers work before they write the novel and you write character backstories and they might never make it to the light of day but it's useful for you to work out what their backstory is and like you said both your main characters Max and Nathan have a really rich backstory which obviously helps you write the novel yeah and that's more or less how I how I um sort of started off I wrote the whole story so by the time I got to maybe write the fourth or fifth version of CeeLo I sort of knew what they do in sort of any um given situations one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So you mentioned this house that inspired you and I, that was one of my questions really because I wondered whether you had been inspired by a real place and you obviously have been because Nathan yes. falls instantly in love with this house and your description of it is so vivid and so when you were writing about this real place did you sneakily take photos or you just yes. had a... <laughs> tell us about the writing of the house go on well I saw it I cycled home and as soon as I got home I drew the outside of it 
And then um, this is on a, like a big age three size of paper. And then I drew all the gardens out as well. But I wasn't sort of didn't have Nathan in my head then. It was more Max, the owner of it. And then how can I get someone who's so off the scale of like a normal character that you'd have there? I wanted someone really that would never, ever normally go there. And what about the inside of the house? Was that purely imagination? It is what well, I've never been inside this said house. Um, you didn't fancy so, yeah, on the door then. <laughs> I did think about it. I did think about it in the years leading up to being published. I did sort of say, actually, I've written about your house in the book. Can I just have a look inside? But I thought, no, it really is owned by someone quite high up in society, I think we'll say. So I thought maybe not. But no, um, yeah, it's all, in my, it's all in my head as I write, like from the kitchen up the stairs. It's, I can see it. It's all in my head. Mm. that really comes across in the writing that's why I wondered whether it was based on a real place because you've almost you've already obviously got it mapped out in your head like where all the rooms are and where the stairs are and things but that's interesting that you made that up yourself and um, I want to touch a little bit on Nathan because you've mentioned already he's recently been released from prison and he's you mentioned that he spent some time homeless did you want to explore this aspect of his character because it's not a topic that we often see in fiction. Was that one of your reasons for writing about him? Yeah, I mean, Nathan, um, I know I cycled past the house and saw it. That was pure luck. It wasn't planned, but I did want to write about people like Nathan. That was my main sort of aim, I suppose, of the book. I used to work for a team of um, specialist nurses at uh, my local hospital, and they so I'd say probably 50, 60 percent of the people they treated would have been in prison at one time or other. So I have spoken. I, I like to sort of say I've spoken to literally hundreds of Nathans mm. over the years, like ringing them up to arrange appointments, um, all the sort of queries they might have. Um, this is obviously once they're not in prison, once they've been released and they usually go back back and forth back and forth and I thought you know one day there'll be one that has such a determination not to go back inside and also um I don't know how readers what sort of knowledge they would have themselves but I thought I'll give them both both um, main characters and addiction because mm -hmm. that's tied in a lot um with it all and I just thought that's why I wanted to do the hope sort of central theme. And so right at the end, they can say I did it and other people can do it. Mm. Do you think that your job helped you kind of get into his mindset and his mind frame about yeah. how he was? How definitely. Was yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, his experience, his backstory, which obviously throughout the book, he does reveal slowly. I've heard so many similar stories to that once you get someone talking they do tend to chat about how they're living now you know with their friends or um there was one guy who lived actually lived in a garage for years and years in someone's garage just who had an address yeah but like I mean your reasons for obviously wanting to write about it is is 
good that you're writing about people that we don't often read about in fiction and their characters and their backstories that aren't seen in a hopeful way like you've said you wanted to give this impression that there is a way out of this life and um I think your book does end in a well without giving too much away we'll, we'll <laughs> say that it has a, a hopeful feeling to it but there's one aspect of the book and again we're going in with no spoilers but there's an, a, a real tension in this novel that, the, that there's something going on that we don't know what's going on but there's something not quite right and it as we go through the book the kind of latter half of the book has a more I guess thriller edge to it so mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how you built the kind of mystery and also tell us a little bit more about Max and how he feeds into this mysterious atmosphere in the house. This was probably the most difficult part for me Chloe because I wasn't too sure whether to do uh, um, like Nathan arrives he falls in love with the house um, his new life doing what he likes doing loves doing rather and then he falls in love with Max and that sort of conflicts him like should I be doing this you know am I sure what I feel but I didn't know whether I could make a whole book about just that in I, a romance I suppose you'd say and then I so I did a version totally like that with none of the mist the latter part of the book in it with the no spoilers and then I just did the thriller one as well. And I couldn't make a whole book of just one of them. I started, I thought I'll do half and half, the, the utopia, I suppose, of CeeLo. And then about halfway through the book, there's this, shall we say, a bit of a killer scene where something is discovered, which he knows he's got to um, look into, I suppose, investigate. Yeah, he becomes a, a bit of a wannabe detective at that point. Tell us a little bit more about Max then. Give us a little bit more about his character because he is. A, we don't see him for a while when um, Nathan arrives at the house. He's sort of a bit of a mysterious figure kind of hiding away a little bit. So tell us a little bit more about him. Yeah, Max um, said he is twice Nathan's age. So he's early 40s. He's won this hat. He was in his 20s and 30s. He was a celebrity DJ. So he's got quite a lot of money, but he actually won this house in a card game while he was doing his DJ thing in Ibiza. And so he's been married, that broke up. No spoilers, but you will find out why um, in the book. He is addicted to alcohol and his liver isn't in a I'd say um, layman's terms his liver is not in a very good condition at all so um, he drinks because of one major thing that happened in his past which he doesn't really want to be reminded of so he drinks to dull that he is most enthusiastic I suppose um, with this scheme of um, all these gardeners coming to do his gardens um, so he's enthusiastic about that, but he can't really, he doesn't really know why they want to do it. Um, this is obviously he realises it's a big change from prison to being in this really remote place where there's no, apart from the people that 
live and work at the house. There's no one else around for several miles, I think you'd say. So he is inquisitive, also curious as to why they want to come here. And then he starts befriending them and the same with Nathan. Um, but Nathan probably questions more mm. and wants to find out. I think Nathan's main thing, once he's built the garden, Nathan wants to know why someone with all these things, this lovely house, the money, you know, status, I suppose you'd say to Nathan, he can't understand why someone's drinking himself to death. And of course, Max doesn't want him to know. Mm. Yeah, and as they as they get closer, you find out a lot more about Max's past. And one of the sort of emotional and significant parts of the book is very heavily tied with music. And I noticed that you included a playlist at the back of the book with songs that kind of you were playing as you were writing and kind of made you think about the novel. So, do you? listen to music as you write can you tell us a little bit more about your writing routine yeah um when I'm first when I'm writing them say the first draft or I'm doing scenes I do listen to music yeah the only time music goes off is during editing right <laughs> I really hate editing <laughs> and that might shock a lot of people I actually hate it writing no problem but editing Think, deciding feel, what to leave like out 50 50 I think some people love that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a person that likes the editing um, and some people prefer the <laughs> you know the first draft the blank page just getting it all down and you're you're one of those then I like the the newness of it I guess creating scenes and then deciding whereabouts in the book to put them I'm okay with that but actually then either have to take a lot away or more the way I write putting extra stuff in and then having to have the same tone for all of it. I find that that's the hardest bit. And I noticed behind you that you've got a lot of post-it notes. I'm wondering whether you are a big planner or whether you're someone that writes kind of in a organically, what they call pantsing. What kind of writer are you? Are these post-it notes uh, to do with your, your novel? Are, are these planning? Not this one. <laughs> no, the next one. So what we'll yeah. about so <laughs> I'm assuming that you are a big um, planner then if you've got lots of post-it notes on your wall. I am once it's, once I've written the first draft, right. I think you'd say. So I'll have my idea and the, definitely the characters and then I'll write what I call the key scenes um so the meeting the characters various other ups and downs from start to end but apart from that I don't really plan what you can see behind you is book two which has drastically changed since then <laughs> yeah there's some people that love a spreadsheet there are some people that love post-it notes and I guess you have to find your own way into into planning your book or, or not planning as the case may be so I wondered, Jane, where your love of writing came from, where it began, because I know you're a massive reader and you've got a wonderful collection of um, pretty much all the debuts uh, that we that we are um, that are in the group, the debut group, and uh, many of them that, that have been on this podcast. So, did your desire to write come from your love of books? Definitely, from maybe eight, nine, ten. I lived in the library. I'd go there after school. It was quite near my house. I basically lived there and I read all the children's. I mean, this is a long, long, long time ago. This is 
the 70s so you know there wasn't the children's books like there is now so once I read all the children's books I then went straight on to adults and I have to say and I know some of my fellow debut writers are librarians I have to say that I when I took the books up there they just stamped them and let me have them and I think I don't know whether that would happen now <laughs> so I probably read some very um things that a 10 year old isn't supposed to write really yeah well I don't know I I think my library used to that when you hit 12 I think that was when you could take out adult. I think sure it was 12 because I remember the yeah. adult section was probably about four times as big as the children's section I couldn't yeah. wait to get into the adult section I was like give me oh. books and I think I was so much though I'm pretty sure I read books so it's definitely not appropriate for a 12 year old yeah well, I definitely that's did, how you yes. learn isn't it <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned in your acknowledgements how important for you the writing community is I know you're a big NaNoWriMo fan you love Jericho writers and also you uh, are very active on Twitter and I know you're really supportive to other writers and you know you join in lots of conversations and stuff so can you talk to us about why this writer community is so important and so valuable to you? I'd say it's probably the, the most important thing Chloe for me at the time when I was writing Cielo I started that on a very very small local um, online course and I think there's about six people on it. <laughs> so it's very small. I don't think it was even nationally advertised. Um, and I just got the bug for it. And I went on and, you know, various versions and various people uh, read it. Um, then someone I know locally um, suggested I did NaNoWriMo. And I think that was probably the biggest thing for me besides actually met I remember going for my first writing so this would have been probably 2016 I think it was um I went for like a writing actually in amazingly enough the lot the main library in Norwich <laughs> and I was so super impressed because two of the people there were actually published writers who had never ever met a published writer before and uh, the person who led the group she says Oh, she says, I just bang one out in Nano every year and they always get published. So I thought, I thought this was much harder than this. But I mean, you know, she has had about maybe 10 books published, I suppose. Um, but more significantly, one of the other ladies um, was Lister Norwich. She became basically my editor. So she's seen all the versions of this one. She's seen all the versions of the second book. So, yes, she's like a proper editor and I have to pay her and everything, but it's a bit more than your prof sort of professional relationship. And, well, Twitter, without Twitter, I wouldn't know anyone, including all my other fellow debut novelists. I wouldn't know, wouldn't know anything. And there's so many good, there's so, there are bad things on Twitter, but... In the writing community, I don't think there are. It's mainly all good, and there's so much advice on there. So many nice people. Yeah, I love it. Mm. I think, like you said, I think it's really important to have people that you trust that you can share your work with, whether they're 
friends, whether they're people that you're paying for a service. But I think sometimes people feel really nervous about sharing their work, obviously, because it's very personal. But I think it's important to hear feedback because the whole through the whole publishing process, you're going to hear negatives, you're going to hear criticisms or feedback. And um, it's kind of important to get used to that early on, I think, to to get used to editing your own work and seeing maybe the weaknesses. So I think having having friends that are supportive, but also critical is quite handy. So what advice do you have for anyone who's wanting to write a novel or has started to write a novel? What what one piece of advice would you give to them? Just write what you want to write. I'd also say read, but read everything. I don't particularly read a lot of children's fiction, but I'll read YA, I'll read, I'll read all genres of adult fiction. And I think you can get something from, certainly something from things you don't usually read. Mm. I mean, three or four years ago, I would never even pick up a historical fiction. And that's probably one of my favourites. Yeah. So, yeah. And lastly, I'd say get yourself on Twitter and start talking to people, you know, congratulating them on their deals and enter little competitions to win their giveaways and just find out who's doing what mm. yeah I'm, I'm a big like you say there's there's lots of negatives to twitter and and um as with all parts of the internet there are you know nasty sides of it but it's really nice when you find a group of followers or a, a group of people that you enjoy chatting to regularly and uh yeah we've we've had a lot of free promo for Twitter already in this episode so <laughs> I'll leave it there okay. now we're gonna we've already mentioned book two but I want to know finally what is can you give us a little tease about book two I know you kind of said it's changed already but can you give us a little it's about? changed already I mean <laughs> book two I've got next week off which is going to be a manic editing week <laughs> your favorite <laughs> yeah install gr- grimace um this I've been writing since 2016 so how anyone writes a book in a year I have no idea um so essentially it is called The Hunt for Delphi the main character although they never say anything till right at the end is this former exotic dancer who lives on an island with her partner, who was the um, owner of a famous nightclub in London, of, should we say, pole dancing and exotic, that kind of Soho sort of vibe. And she leaves, the hat leaves the island, um, so he thinks. So um, this guy decides to hire a TV producer who's already made a documentary on the nightclub and says right I want you to create a game show to find her and that's essentially what it's about. Oh that sounds so interesting and I can see why you were kind of working out whose perspective and point of view are you yes so, from. so that's really interesting. There's only one perspective now okay. which is one of the contestants. <laughs> that sounds really interesting um, and who doesn't love a bit of reality tv so sounds really fascinating Jane. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Chloe. It's lovely to have done this with you. That was Jane Markland, 
talking about her contemporary novel, CeeLo, which is out now and available to buy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.